Well, good morning again to you. It's good to be with you here again on another Sunday morning. Um, if you look on the screens, you'll see this is the title of our series of sermons here. It's uh, In Him and Us, or Us and Him and Us. Uh, it's a play on words, actually, but it, it's really the theme of this um, letter of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul wrote. The word Christian doesn't appear too many times in the Bible, but um, what does appear like over a hundred times is the phrase, in him. A Christian is somebody who's in Christ, and Ephesians tries to explain what that means. And that's what we're trying to do as well. So the essence of who we are as Christians is we are in Christ, and the essence of how we live is Christ lives in and through us. That's the theme of this um, epistle. And so um, we're today in, a, in the second chapter of this incredible letter that Paul wrote to this church that he planted. He planted it um, having lived there for about three years. But I'd like to begin this, um, this morning by talking about barriers. Um, for whatever reason, we in America today just love barriers. Have you ever noticed? We, we, we love to divide people into categories, and we've got tons and tons of categories, and we're coming up with new ones all the time. Here's a few of them. We've got age categories. There we've got, we've got boomers, we've got busters, we've got millennials, we've got genetic Xers. I don't know, have we got Ys and Zs too? I guess so. We, uh, greatest generation. We've got all, the, we love to divide people by age. We divide people by gender. Now, uh, you'd think that's a simple one, male, female. Not so according to Facebook. I understand there are 50 gender, uh, genders now and counting. I can't even make up that many, but that's how many we have. We love to divide by, by economics. That's been done throughout all of human history. We've got the haves and the have-nots. We've got the, the people who are uh, the 1% and the 99, and on and on you go. We love to divide people. We divide, of course, by language. That goes back to the Tower of Babel many, many years ago. Race, oh my, that one is something we've been doing for centuries. Um, segregation in our country, apartheid in South Africa, uh, anti-Semitism in Europe, race riots. We love to divide by race and ethnicity. And political ideology, oh my goodness. We're as polarized as we've ever been, so they say, here in the United States, by political ideology. We divide by body shapes and sizes, small, large, medium, large, extra large, you know all the sizes. Um, we, I, we, we divide by national identity, American, Russian, whatever it may be, plus first world, second world, third world. We love to divide by um, uh, national identity. Religion, skip it. There's so many divisions over religion, it's stunning in our world. People are divided by religion, sexual orientation you're quite familiar with, by tribe, and on and on it goes. Here's what Cicero, the Roman, said. As, uh, he said, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. That's what the, uh, the Romans said. Now, to... Um, make our barriers even more pronounced, we build walls. There was the Berlin Wall separating the city of Berlin into its two parts. There is the wall that separates Israel from the West Bank or Palestine, which is the one on the bottom. Here's um, the border wall between us and, and uh, the United States and Mexico. We love our barriers. And this morning, we're going to talk about a barrier that makes all of these look extremely Small. 
Today, I think we're going to talk about the biggest barrier that probably has ever existed. And it happened to be a barrier that divided the church of Ephesus and churches at the time of the Bible into two categories. And those two categories are Jew and Gentile. And so today, we're going to see what does the Apostle Paul do when he writes a letter to a church that he planted, the church of Ephesus, that is struggling with having both Jews and Gentiles in the same church. You might think, hey, there's no big deal. Oh, yes, there is. Way bigger than you know. And God's goal, and the title for this message is, God is in the business of creating a new humanity. Now, of course, I made up that word. But it's humanity whose identification is not any of these barriers, but that we are in Him, in Christ. So here's our text, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And if you have a Bible, please turn there with me. Now, if you can't read that, it says this, barriers that divided Jews and Gentiles. This is probably the, um, the biggest divide you can possibly imagine. And here you have an, a church that has Jews and Gentiles in them, and they cannot tolerate each other. And you'll see why. So here's how the Apostle Paul writes, therefore. Now you know, you've probably heard it, whenever you see a therefore, you need to ask yourself what it is there for. And so, therefore means you have to go back. Remember what happened last week? Those famous verses, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has before ordained that you should walk in them. You are the trophies of heaven. You are made in the image of God. You are the ones for whom Christ died. Aren't you something? Yes! Wait a minute. Paul must have known that the people were about ready to get a really big head, and so he's going to squish it. Here it goes. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles. So he's writing now to the, the contingent in the church, which is Gentile, and probably the church now in Ephesus is mostly Gentile with a contingent of Jews. He says, Gentiles who now think you're really hot stuff, Remember, you were born and you are uncircumcised. You are called the... Remember what, what um, David said when, when, the, when, when the great giant Goliath was taunting the people of Israel? He said, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine? That's how the Jews referred to everyone else, the uncircumcised. And so Paul says, remember, you Gentiles... The Jews call you the uncircumcised. That's your name. Remember, you Gentiles were separate from Christ. Christ means Messiah. Remember, Gentiles, you do not have a Messiah. Nero's no Messiah. Caesar Augustus is no Messiah. You have no Messiah. Every single one of your political leaders is a joke. They may give you temporary peace like Augustus. But they will never deliver what you'd long for. You have no Messiah. None. But the Jews do. You are not part of God's chosen people. The Jews are. 
God identified them from the time of Abraham as his chosen people. You are not God's chosen people. And by the way, we might have a few people of Jewish heritage here, but hardly any. We're all Gentiles. 99.9% of the people on earth are Gentiles. You're not part of God's chosen people. You are not the ones to whom God gave his Messiah. You are not the ones with whom God made the covenants. He did not make the Abrahamic covenant with you. He made it with Israel. God did not make the Mosaic covenant with you. He made it with Israel. God did not make the Davidic covenant with you. He made it with Israel. You are not part of the promises of God. Where does that, where does that leave you? You don't have any hope. And you do not have God. Remember those big heads? That'll squish it really fast. Now, did you notice in these all the barrier words there? Did you see them all? Jews, Gentiles, circumcised, uncircumcised, separate for cry from Christ, looking for the Messiah, excluded from citizenship having citizenship, foreigners to the covenants, recipients of the covenants, without hope, with hope, without God, with God. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It gets way worse. Now remember, you've got people sitting in the same building who are Jew and Gentile Christians, and they can have nothing to do with each other. Why? Well, let me show you why. First of all, as we mentioned, Jewish people divided all humanity into two, two groups. The circumcised, that's them, and the uncircumcised, that's everybody else. There's the first division. Second one was, as we said, Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was given to the Jewish people. That's their Messiah. Citizenship. The Jewish people are the chosen people, as I said. The Gentiles were not. They were not the recipients of the covenants. The Jewish people were the recipients of the covenants. And they did not have the confidence of being people of God because they are not people of the true God. Now their calendar was different. Here they had a calendar that was built around the great feasts of the Old Testament. Passover and, and Pentecost and Tabernacles and Purim and Hanukkah. They didn't have the same calendars. Here the, the Gentiles had a Roman calendar but the Jews had their own religious calendar. They didn't even celebrate the same holidays at all. They didn't wear the same clothes. Remember what God said to the Jewish people? You can't mix certain kinds of threads in your clothes. Even their clothing separated them from one another. And if you go to Israel today, oh my, does clothing separate. You see the Orthodox Jews, and in the middle of the summer, they're wearing these mink hats and very long black outfits with long tassels here, or tassels here, and, and curls here, and phylacteries on their forehead, and their clothing is just completely different. And the commandments. You see, the Gentiles grew up in a, in, a, in a Roman society, in a Greek society, and they had rules and regulations, but the Jewish people had 613 of them. They didn't have the same rules, but they're in the same church. Besides, the Jews were not permitted to marry the Gentiles. You see, in the Old Testament, God said that the Jews could not marry the Canaanites, but the Jewish rabbis by the time of, of Paul said that a Jew cannot marry a Gentile. So here you've got your church. 
And the, they cannot even marry one another. It wouldn't be allowed. Even in their construction, the separation was huge. You had in the construction of the temple, which at this time was one of the grandest buildings of the world, in Jerusalem, you had the court of the priests, you had the court of the men, you had the court of the women, and then you had the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles had to look from way, way back there. God would not even let them in. They had three layers before they could get to the Holy of Holies. The, diff, the, the barriers were even reflected in their construction and in their food. They couldn't have bacon with their eggs, the Jewish people. And probably the Gentiles love bacon with their eggs. They wanted shrimp cocktail. Jewish people can't eat shrimp cocktail. They had different foods they could eat. And even it was commonplace for the Jewish people to curse the Gentiles. In fact, they would pray, Oh God, be sure you send every Gentile to hell. Some of the Jewish rabbis taught that God created Gentiles to fuel the fires of hell. That's why he made it. That's why he made us. Some of the rabbis said that um, if, a, um, if a Jewish woman, I mean a Gentile woman, is in labor and needs help, a Jew could not help her. Because to do so would be to bring another Gentile into the world. Now, with this background, you have Jews and Gentiles in the same church. What are you going to do? How's your potluck going to go? Can you imagine having a potluck? It's impossible. Can you imagine trading clothes? Can you imagine trying to put together the church calendar? You can't do anything because of these barriers. Now, thankfully, we don't have quite as many barriers probably in our culture today, but, but, but we've got them. And by the way, these barriers between Jew and Gentile continued in the Christian church. Do you remember your timetable? Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead around the year 30 A.D. About two months later, the church began when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and now the church was formed, and thousands and thousands of people became Christians. But every single one was Jewish. There was not one Gentile convert for 10 years Peter's out preaching, but he's not preaching to Gentiles because there's not a Gentile. Philip is not preaching to Gentiles because there's no Gentiles. John is not preaching to Gentiles because there's no Gentile in the church. None were allowed. And what does God do? God says, this is not my plan. So kicking and screaming, God forces Peter to go and see a Gentile named Cornelius. Ten years after the time of Jesus. And finally, Peter says, oh. I can't deny it. These people are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're Gentiles. What are we going to do? We don't eat the same food. We don't wear the same clothes. We don't have the same feasts. We don't do anything the same. They're not circumcised. What are we going to do? Ten years later, they're fighting tooth and nail. The church is going crazy with a great big split because there were the people that said, here's what it means to be a Christian. Accept Jesus as your Messiah and follow the Mosaic law. 
And then you got Paul, who God sent as the apostle to the Gentiles. And he says, not on your life. No, that is not the gospel. The gospel is we are saved by faith alone. You, will, you should not impose the Mosaic law on the Gentile Christians. You must not. They fought and they fought. And thankfully at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, they decided to side with Paul. And you know what happened after that? It got much worse. Every single place Paul went, a group of people called the Judaizers came in after he left and said, this guy is not an apostle. He is a heretic. He is, says that we don't have to follow the Mosaic law. Yes, you do. You cannot be a Christian if you ever eat bacon. If you do not, celebrate, if you do not worship on the Sabbath day, you can't be a Christian. If you do not celebrate Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles, you can't be a Christian. Paul says, No. And now you've got these two groups in the same church. What do you do? Well, of course, you do what Americans would do. Form two churches. <laughs> well, that's what we do. You know how much we do that? This is the smallest number, the smallest number that anyone estimates. In our world today, there are 20 thousand denominations. And by the way, denominations means Southern Baptist Convention is one. There are 20,000 of those in our world. That's the conservative number. The Roman Catholic number is 30,000 and some scholars say 40,000. Denominations. That's our answer. Our answer is when you have people who have differences, why all these kinds of differences, the easy thing is, if you don't like the same music... Duh! Go find a church that does play your kind of music. If you don't like the age of the people at the church, go start your own church. Come on, get with it. That's what we do. So we divide over age, we divide over denomination, we divide over musical preferences, we divide over politics, we divide over race. One of the most haunting statements Martin Luther King Jr. ever said was the following, quote, It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Look at your clock. It's 11. He said, where we see segregation most clearly in America is in church. That's pretty sad. We're not any different. Except that God does not like this. This is not what God has designed the church to be. Divided into 20,000 little groups. And so, now all these barriers that divide us, race and age and musical preference and school preference and theology and traditions and all this stuff, what do you do? Because we have those in our churches today. Well, our answer, as I said, is start your own church. But that is not Paul's answer. Here is his answer. We need to understand deep inside of our souls what Jesus has done to break the barriers. Now remember, this is the highest barrier probably in the history of the world is between Jews and Gentiles. What is going to happen? The first thing, 
um, Paul is going to write is, what did Jesus do to break down these barriers? Here's what he writes. But now, these barriers that, that kept Jews and Gentiles separate, but now, Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and remember, that's, what it, that's the word, that's his synonym for Christian, in Christ. But now, as Christians, you who were once far away, who are the far away ones? The Gentiles. You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You Jewish people, you are the original ones with whom God made his covenant. But now, you who are far away, you Gentiles, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What did Jesus do? He gave his life on the cross, not just for the sins of his people, the Jewish people. He gave his life on the cross for the sins of all humanity. That's what he did. He broke through the barrier by the cross. Why? Well, because he loves us. Then what happened? How did he do it? Well, here's how he did it. First of all, he gave himself for he himself is our peace. So he put himself between these two factions and he made the two one. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. The main thing that kept Jews and Gentiles separate was laws. That's what kept them separate. You've got the Gentile morality and you've got the Jewish 613 laws. That's what kept them separate. So what did Jesus do? Well, made many people think he said, well, he abolished the Old Testament law. No, he didn't abolish the Old Testament law. That's not what the Bible says. How is he going to take these two different sets of law and bring us together? What did he do? Jesus said, when he was accused of being a lawbreaker, he said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. What did he do in his flesh? Jesus, in his flesh, kept every single one of the 613 laws perfectly as they were intended by God. If he could, if he didn't, he wouldn't be the perfect sacrifice. He kept every one of them. Did Jesus eat bacon with his eggs? No. No. It was one of the Old Testament food laws. He did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Every single command of God, as it was intended by the God who wrote it, and he wrote it, he perfectly fulfilled. And so now, this wall, which kept the Jews and the Gentiles separate, has been completely scaled by Jesus in his flesh. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And that's, by the way, the genius of Christianity. The genius of Christianity is not that God just forgets about our sins. We sang it. Clothed in his righteousness alone. What did we sing? What's the next line? clothed in his righteousness alone. No one sang it this morning? Did we sing this this morning? Did we sing this, Sam, this morning? Clothed in his righteousness alone. What's it? 
faultless to stand before his throne. When Jesus looks at me, I have no sin. Oh, I've got plenty of sins. You would, if you only knew, you wouldn't let me preach. But he didn't get rid of the law. He fulfilled the law. And now that's the genius of Christianity. He gives us his righteousness. We get clothed in his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he says, woo, perfect, faultless. Why? Because we're clothed in his righteousness. That's what he did. So he takes these two separate people who were separated because of the law. He, he fulfills the law, taking that barrier down. There's no barrier of law anymore to separate us from each other. You perhaps have heard of this book. Someone after the, service, the first service came up and said that they met Don Richardson, and they told me a story I didn't know about. Don Richardson and his wife, in 19, wife and little child in 1962, went to, um, it was called Dutch New Guinea at the time. And they, were, they went to this Stone Age tribe that were, um, were, were cannibals. And um, what the person told me this morning was, the first thing they did when they arrived at the tribe is they took their little baby and handed it to one of these um, people in this tribe. Can you imagine doing that? Well, well, they went to this tribe and they lived among this tribe and this tribe really liked them. And their job was to translate the Bible. This church knows about that because we've sent, we're sending a team over to Indonesia to celebrate the, the translation of the Bible. Well, that was their job and it was a hard job. In the language of the Sawi people, each verb had 19 different tenses. Can you imagine your grammar class? They translated the Bible into the language, or they were in the process of it, but this tribal group had other tribes nearby with whom they fought and they killed each other all the time, and so the Richardsons decided they were going to leave. And they went to the tribal chief of this tribe that they were working with, and they said, we cannot stay here because all you do is fight and kill. And the chief said, no. No, we want you to stay. And so the chief went to the chiefs of the other tribes and they decided to exchange children. And that was the way that they made peace. And so the chief of one tribe gave his child to the other tribe and they did the same. And if you had in your tribe a child of another tribe, you could not fight with them. It was against their, their, their ways of doing things. And so... It was a peace child. Now, one of the problems the Richardsons had with this tribe is their sense of morality was extremely different than Christianity. In fact, when they told them the story of Jesus, they laughed at Jesus and thought Judas was the hero because in that society, they praised um, deceit. To trick someone is just like the ultimate great, uh, uh, great character. And so they had to teach them, no, 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 Judas is the, is the goat. He's not, he, he's not the lamb of God. And so finally they did it, but it was, it was this redemptive analogy with the peace child. And when he saw that, he said, oh, that's how we communicate Christianity to these people. Jesus is God's peace child. God offered his own son to us who formerly would want to kill him. 
as his peace offering to bring us together to get rid of the barrier. Jesus is the peace child. Well, why? God didn't have to do this. What is he trying to do? Well, his purpose. It's easy. What's he, what's he want to do? What is God up to putting Jews and Gentiles into the same church? If God was smart like we are, he'd make two different churches, wouldn't he? No. Why? His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Okay, can't fight anymore. Because you're not two bodies, you're not two churches. You're only one. You're a new humanity. That's what we are as Christians. We're brand new. We are in him, in Christ, a new humanity. But he went farther. He then took you who were far away. Those are the Gentiles. He preached peace to those. And then God preached peace to those who were near. Those are the Jews. Extending a hand of reconciliation to both. And enabling us to have access to one Father through the one Holy Spirit. That's what he's up to. You see, one of God's fondest desires is that the church would be one. Remember before Jesus died, just within hours of his crucifixion, Jesus prayed. It's recorded for us in John 17. And he prays for us. He not only prays for his disciples, he prays first for himself, then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. He said, for those who will come, his prayer for us is that we would be one. 20,000 denominations later and growing all the time, doesn't sound like one to me. I guess that prayer wasn't answered very well, was it? But that's his longing. He wanted us to realize we only have one Father. We have only one mediator between God the Father. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have only one Holy Spirit. It's, it's fascinating. Have you ever thought about what are the three biggest things that probably divide us? Probably the greatest division among us as Christians, first division is over four words. This is my body. Communion of all things should be that which unites us, but that's what's divided us. That's where the church just splintered to this very day, how we view those four different words. What else has divided us? Baptism. That very sign that should be the, the mark that we are children of God, that divides us. And the Holy Spirit divides us. The very things God intended to unite us are some of the very things that most divide us. It's pretty sad. Well, what can we do? We've got all these barriers that we mentioned. We've got a ton of them. Um, what, 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 what should we do? How do, you, how do you break them down? Well, here's what Jesus did. First of all, Jesus took the initiative. We didn't take the initiative to break down the barriers, and you can be sure those Jews and Gentiles wouldn't take the initiative. God took the initiative. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to make peace, and he brought the two sides together. And he fulfilled the law, taking away this greatest barrier that separated Jews and Gentiles so that he could make 
a new humanity. Um, how do we break down the barriers? Maybe you've seen this statement before. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Actually, this was written in 1627 during the Thirty Years' War in which Christians on both sides were killing each other at record numbers. He said, Christians, Christians, in essentials, we should be unified. In things we don't agree on, we should give each other liberty. And we should be, of all people, those who express love toward each other, not killing each other. But this statement has an enormous problem. What's the problem? We don't agree on what the essentials are. So what do you do when your essential is not somebody else's essential? You fight, and you separate, and you start a new denomination. That's what we do. Now, what are the essentials? Well, this is a very important question. A hundred years ago, in 1910, Christianity in America was going the way of Europe. And you know how Christianity has done in, gone in Europe. <laughs> gone. We were going the same way. And there was a wealthy businessman who put up some money and sponsored the publication of, of little tracts or little booklets that were called the Fundamentals, in which writers like G. Gretchen Machen, who was a professor at Princeton, identified these are the essentials of Christianity, and they came up with five of them. These are the five fundamentals. Number one, the first fundamental is, is, is the, the authority uh, of, the, of the Holy Scriptures. The second one was the virgin birth of Jesus. The third one was the um, substitutionary atonement, that he, that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The fourth one was the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And the fifth one was um, the historical reality of Jesus' miracles. He said these are some of the fundamentals of Christianity. If you deny the resurrection of Jesus, we have nothing. Go join the Lions Club. Come on. Go play some golf on Sundays. Why would you bother going to church? He said, these are the essentials. How do I decide what the essentials are? Well, I go back to third grade math class. The easiest way that I decide on what things are essential is by the four mathematical signs. Plus, minus, multiply, and divide. The first essential for me is the plus sign. We should never add anything to the Holy Scriptures. Every cultic group and many groups that want to be, call themselves Christian will do that. We love the Bible. Plus, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrines and the Covenant, and the Book of Mormon. Oh, we love the Bible. Plus, as interpreted through the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. Oh, we love the Bible, as interpreted by the Watchtower Society. Oh, we love the Bible. He's a great, Jesus is a great prophet. But the final revelation is the Quran. Whenever you add anything to the Holy Scriptures, you've destroyed the Holy Scriptures. We don't add any authority. Everything is to be, to be evaluated through the Scriptures. That's the plus. You add, all cultic groups will add something to the Scriptures. Subtract. They will subtract from the deity of Christ. 
They'll say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was a great prophet. Jesus was an angel. Jesus was the first created being. Jesus was a God, small letter G. But they will subtract from the full deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They will not acknowledge that. They will subtract from the deity of Christ. Thirdly, they will multiply requirements to be acceptable to God. Oh, by, for by grace you are saved through faith plus works. For by grace you are saved through faith plus rituals. For by grace you have saved through faith plus the five pillars, plus the eightfold path, plus giving enough money. No, once you multiply requirements to be acceptable to God, you've destroyed the simplicity of the gospel and the divide. All these groups will divide people into us and them, the haves, the have-nots, the spiritual elite, and the rumdums. And if I understand Christianity correctly, since every one of us is saved by grace through faith, has nothing to do with us, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one can ever claim to be greater than another. We have no saints and sinners. We're all saints who know we're sinners. Plus, minus, multiply, and divide. One of the difficulties is we have to determine what are the essentials. But there are many things that we hold and we should hold with great tenacity that are not essential, but we need to recognize they are not essential. And I could give you a list, but I don't want you to throw tomatoes at me, so I won't do that right now. There are many things that, we, that are not essentials of the Holy Word of God. And Christians of good Good faith who hold tenaciously to these four would disagree on some things. In that case, liberty. We allow freedom. And no matter what, we love one another. We're civil and we offer charity. Could go on, but let's go on to the end. The last part of this uh, chapter or um, these verses, Jesus, or Paul then gives some building blocks. And he's going to say, he's going to use three metaphors to try to explain now what this new entity, this new humanity looks like. He's going to liken it, first of all, to citizenship. Then he's going to liken it to a house. And then he's going to liken it to a temple. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens. You Gentiles are not foreigners anymore. You are now fellow citizens with God's people. And you're members of God's household. What household? The household that's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, we are part of the building blocks of God's household. And what is this household for? The purpose of this household is to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We are the temple of God. That's where it ends. Well, where does it end for us? I thought that's an interesting picture. I, I, I think that's a, it's a, a, a building, I think, in Dubai. I thought, wow, I'd hate to build that thing. But um, that's, that's what God's doing. He's building a building. There we are, Jews and Gentiles, working together to give glory to God. I, I've told you before, and you know, I've only been here a, a month, 
and I found uh, Sheridan kind of weird um, in some pretty interesting ways. One of the ways that's really weird about Sheridan, at least in the churches of Sheridan, is um, you tend to love each other. That's kind of weird. Shouldn't be doing that. Um, you should be competing against each other. I'm, hopefully you hear that. I'm facetious. <laughs> Please don't take me seriously. Uh, every, on Wednesday mornings, the uh, evangelical pastors in town gather together for sharing and prayer and worship sometimes. On Sunday morning here, Gary, this morning as he prayed, he, he prayed for other churches. You see, we're part of a bigger whole. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing in Sheridan that we have because we're, we're not just, just First Baptist Church. It's much bigger than just us. God is weaving not just together Jews and Gentiles, but people who have different beliefs on things that are not essential. But we hold together to the things that are in one body, and we see ourselves in that way. What's our task? Well, first of all, we need to see one another, and not just in this church, but on other churches here in, in Sheridan, as part our, our fellow citizens. We belong to the same nation, the kingdom of God. And we need to treat each other as if we're part of God's family, because we are. And we need to work together to build the temple in which God's spirit dwells, which is us together. Well, I conclude with this picture, and uh, I don't know if you can recognize it. Not many of you were alive at the time. I wasn't. But if you look at that picture, right in the center, you see this man holding up uh, a, a document there. Uh, he's kind of a goat, um, but his name is Neville Chamberlain. In 1938, he had just arrived back in England on that airplane, and they had this huge gathering. He had just met with, um, with Adolf Hitler in Munich. It's called the Munich Pact. And what Neville Chamberlain and some other leaders did is they went to Munich, met with Hitler. Hitler had these territorial demands. They gave Hitler big parcels of land. They signed a non-aggression pact. And he comes back and he says, Peace in our time. Remember what happened? Well, within one year, Adolf Hitler had invaded Poland in World War II which resulted in millions and millions and millions of dead lives resulted. Why? Because he didn't seek real peace. He's known for appeasement. Appeasement is not peace. It's appeasement. We're not called to appeasement. Jesus did not appease. The one who saw it clearly was Winston Churchill. All I have to offer you is blood, sweat, toil, and tears, and the hope of eventual victory. We don't have to hope for an eventual victory. The victory has been won. It was won by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross many, many years ago. And now God is in the building of taking us, though we are different in all kinds of ways, putting us together into one new humanity in which we love one another, we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and the Holy Spirit works through us together. And so we are called to be a new 
humanity. Let's pray. O Heavenly Father, first of all, forgive us as Christians around this world for our propensity to divide over everything. We usually do so because we're egotistical. We want power and money. Our reasons are seldom noble. But sometimes you call us to be strong and to stand firm, and I pray that we'd know when to do so and that we wouldn't budge. We wouldn't budge because Jesus wouldn't budge and Paul didn't bulge and John wouldn't bulge and none of them would budge. Help us to know the difference. I pray that this town would be blessed by churches that continue to cooperate and love one another. Thank you for the beauty of seeing just a little bit of heaven in this beautiful place. And I pray that this body would be a body of Christ in which differences that are superficial, we'd see how superficial they are. And we'd stand strong in what's true. And we'd love one another through what we disagree on. To this end, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.